0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Capital Stewards podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how to build multi generational wealth through real estate and whether now is a good time to start doing that or not and what it would look like. That's right. I have to admit, in starting off this episode, that, you know, just based on my awareness of real estate and what's happening, with interest rates now, doesn't seem like the most optimal time to invest in real estate. So I'm intrigued to hear how I should think. I think how I should think about it, Brian.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, so I think we first need to start by separating what is a long-term portfolio building block, a wealth building block, and we think the real estate asset class is that. It should be part of your long-term investment strategy. And we should separate that from sort of the market timing piece of is now is, you know, the fall of 2023, a great time to invest in real estate. When we think about investing over many years, decades, and, and potentially generationally, it's really more about building particular assets that are going to last over time. It's less about what's going to happen over the next six, nine, 12 months. So so we're going to talk in this episode um, about that longer term real estate strategy, how you should think about including real estate in your investment portfolio and in the ways that you um, can potentially do that. And then in the next episode, we're actually going to talk about some of the particular asset classes, some of the things that are challenged right now, you know, particularly with the interest rate environment. There are definitely portions of the real estate market that, that are tough right now. And so we're going to talk about those. And we'll also talk about places where there are some opportunities. So we're going to start with sort of the core foundational building blocks of why we think it makes sense to include real estate in a portfolio over the long term and then we'll move on to some of the more specific things and and certainly talk about uh, some of the weaknesses that's in the market today. Hello, and welcome to the Capital Stewards podcast. Are you a professional who wants straightforward, trustworthy financial strategies that you can act on? Are you entering your highest income earning years and discovering that your personal finances are becoming too complex? We get it, you're a highly competent professional, but you don't have time to go deep on your personal finances the way you do with your day job. Hi, I'm Brian, helping professionals make smart financial decisions is my passion. I run a financial advisory practice called The Capital Stewards and work with professionals like you who are trying to cut through the noise every day it's time to stop Googling every question you have about money and dive into some real professional guidance. So let's get moving.
0: So based off of what uh, my limited awareness of real estate, my hypothesis would be now is not the most ideal time. Tell me why that might be a false perception.
1: If you think about the way that real estate works, it appreciates residential real estate grows about 4% every year commercial real estate. So think, you know, apartments and strip malls, things like that. That also grows three to four percent annually every year.
0: That's not a great return. Why would I do that?
1: The reason you do that is most people buy real estate with leverage, right? And and I think a lot of folks associate leverage as debt and that's all bad, but then they go get a mortgage, right? A mortgage is the same thing. It's just debt, right? It's it's debt that you use to buy properties. And so that actually increases the annual returns Generally into the mid teens. So, somewhere between say 12 and 15, 16%, depending on how much debt you're using, the kind of property and all that stuff. So, a lot of the return comes from being able to borrow to buy the property. And with interest rates as high as they are right now, that makes that much more difficult both to sort of complete and to execute the transaction, but also you're paying a lot more in interest every month. And so, your returns, your cash flows just go down.
0: So would you still, like, who would you say would, would, should look at having real estate in their portfolio, given that it's not the most optimal time?
1: So I think real estate is a core investment asset class that families should own. And, and just like stocks and bonds, you can buy real estate when times are great. You can buy real estate when times are not as great. So I think that everyone should own real estate in the context of their sort of total, you know, portfolio. The question is just, how much do you own and do you buy it now?
0: Well, why don't we start with why? Why should I have real estate in my portfolio? I mean, is this ultimately just diversification?
1: So there's there's a few reasons why you should own real estate. So I think the first reason to own real estate is because it provides really good returns, right? We talked about mid-teens um returns that's really good that's higher actually than what you're going to get in the stock market over long periods of time also real estate especially when you own it directly has a lot of unique tax advantages so the interest on the mortgage or the debt that you're using to buy the real estate is tax deductible and then i'd say the third sort of reason is that for multi-generational families in particular, you can exchange in and out of properties. You may have heard of these things called 1031 exchanges. And so you can use this to kind of perpetually defer capital gains taxes um, and then eventually pass a portfolio on to the next generation without paying capital gains taxes or or at least while deferring those over a really long period of time. So there are both good return prospects in real estate, but there are also unique tax advantages to investing in real estate that don't exist. In other asset classes.
0: At one point, Brian, you told me that mol- many multi generational families don't own real estate beyond their personal properties, which is is honestly kind of an interesting thing for me to hear because I feel like it's all over the it's all over reels and TikTok, like buy a house, buy a house a day, folks on the internet. Why do you think that many multi generational families, smaller endowments, foundations, etc., don't have real estate as a part of their portfolio?
1: so i I think there's two reasons so i would say the first reason is just because it's difficult uh, to execute right so especially when we talk about investing in individual properties you have to do the legwork to decide which property you're going to buy you've got to do the management legwork it's not something that you can just put in a brokerage account and sort of let sit there and have someone else manage it And, and and that doesn't mean you can't have professional support and things like that but it's it's more challenging to execute than you know just investing in mutual funds and then the second reason i think is the wealth management industry and because for so long, the fee structures were all based on sort of asset centered management in a brokerage account. Well, if you go buy a building, you can't put that in a brokerage account. And so mm. the, the fee structure encouraged advisors to tell clients, like, hey, you know, maybe you don't really need to own real estate. We can buy it through REITs or we can do other things. And, and we, we can talk more about REITs and some of those things. Those are not necessarily all bad things. But they don't have the same sets of advantages that individual properties do. And so I think the industry itself sort of discouraged direct real estate ownership for a long time. And so I think that's the reason why you see families and smaller endowments not have the same exposure as large pension funds and your, your sort of institutional class investors. If, if you look at the research that's been done, a lot of those big endowments and foundations have exposure to real estate that's, that's fairly significant.
0: And why do they do that?
1: because it's a good asset class that provides returns when you own individual properties as opposed to owning real estate through the stock market. So through publicly traded REITs, you get returns that are are both you know, mid-team level returns. You get really good returns on your investment. And you also have an asset that is not as correlated with the stock market, right? Um, yeah. Because there's individual properties, you can collect rent and good markets, you can collect rent and down markets the rent keeps coming in it doesn't mean that the property values don't go up and down a little bit with what's going on with the economy they are correlated but um certainly individual properties themselves are less correlated with what's happening in the stock market and and if you think about it from an institutional perspective they're looking for assets that you know that that still continue to work when stocks are down and and multi-generational families should think the same way as as big institutions right when stocks are down we need to look for other types of asset classes and direct real estate ownership is one of those things
0: you mentioned this term earlier. REIT. Help us understand what that is, and it sounds like you're also recommending that the listeners focus more on personal ownership versus versus buying into a REIT. Tell us a little bit why.
1: So a, a REIT is a real estate investment trust. our real real e real estate investment trust. And REITs are publicly traded like stocks. So a real estate investment trust is just buying a publicly traded share of a company that's primary business operation is buying a real estate. So when you buy a share of a, of a publicly traded REIT, you own a piece of a company that then invests in real estate. And so you put your dollar into the company and the company then in turn goes and they've got some obviously operating expenses, but they go and buy properties. And so a REIT might own large office buildings in a city or lots of multifamily apartments, or that you know, can read really be any kind of real estate asset class. But but your REIT is just a lot of individual underlying real estate holdings that are put together into a publicly traded vehicle. So we want to be able to have the return exposure of real estate, that that sort of mid-teen return exposure. And we also want the tax benefits that come with direct ownership being able to um, write off interest, being able to exchange properties and pass them down, and defer capital gains tax and things like that. And you can't do that with at least with sort of your publicly traded REITs that you just stick into a brokerage account. So I would say those are those are two of the reasons. And then the third reason is just that publicly traded REITs historically tend to trade in line with the S and P five hundred with the stock market, so they don't get that benefit of portfolio diversification that you get in private real estate. And it's just because because REITs sit in brokerage portfolios when people are buying. Stocks, they're buying REITs, and when they're selling stocks, they're selling REITs, and so they just trade more in, in a more correlated way with the broader market, which is sort of what we're trying to avoid by direct investing in real estate. Um, there's kind of a third option in the middle that's private real estate funds, and private real estate funds are are better than public REITs when you start building a portfolio, especially while rates are really high and maybe you can't execute some of those transactions all by yourself. And they can be a little bit more opportunistic, and they can invest in properties as they come up for refinancing but you're still in the private real estate fund world. You might get better returns. You might not be as correlated to the stock market, but you're still not going to get all the tax benefits that come with direct ownership. So the way that I think about it is kind of like a spectrum. Maybe you can own a little bit of a REIT, but over time you want to move into private real estate funds and then eventually you want to move into direct, directly investing into properties, particularly as interest rates start to come down You know, as we go forward.
0: So if you wanted to start in single family home or you know, storage or some of these property types that you recommend. How, what would you say are like the first couple of steps to get started?
1: So I would say to start small, I don't think you have to start with huge properties, right? You can start small. And I think long and shorter term residential rentals are a great place to to start. Uh, The property doesn't have to be a luxury space. It just needs to be a place that's in demand at rental rates that will cover the mortgage rate plus the expenses. So I think a lot of times investors start thinking about, well, I've got to be able to buy another house like the one that I live in, or I've got to buy multiple properties or duplex or something like that. You can buy one place and it doesn't have to necessarily be all that expensive of a place. It just needs to be a place that's going to generate cash flow after you pay the expenses every year. So, so I would say pick a residential neighborhood that you understand where you really know the market, start there. Then I, I would say that step two is to find a guide. You know, we help clients look at potential real estate transactions as part of their portfolio but there's no substitute for a local agent that specializes in rental properties and there probably are real estate agents in your area that work specifically with people that are looking to buy rentals and and get some expertise on what kinds of properties work really well and they can also give you a really good understanding of what the rates are right what what kinds of what kind of rent you're going to be able to charge what expenses look like and you can compare that with with what your mortgage is going to be on the property and so you can get an understanding of the economics so i would say Start small, pick an area of short-term residential, and then find a guide who's going to be able to help you find a specific property that makes sense.
0: What would you say is kind of like the long-term goal? If it's just you know about starting small, finding a guide, getting your feet wet, what would you say is sort of the long-term ambition that people should drive towards?
1: Yeah, so if you think about real estate in the context of your total portfolio, you can go out there and just look at the, the asset allocations of large endowments, pension funds, a lot of that's publicly available information. And real estate exposure is somewhere between 10 and 20%. So if you combine your personal home with your investment assets and what all of that total is worth, if you kind of ask yourself the question, does the real estate add up to be more than 20% of the assets? And if it does, right, a lot of times you may have, you know, if you own multiple homes or things like that, you may have a lot of real estate exposure already. But if you don't, if real estate isn't already 20% of your portfolio, then I think there's an opportunity to buy more. So I think you start with one property and then you buy a second property And when we think about buying multiple properties, I think there's a couple of things that are important. I would say you wanna start to diversify even among sort of a small group of properties. So if you buy one, you know, maybe residential property in a neighborhood, you might buy a second residential property in the same neighborhood. But by the time you get ready to buy property three, it's probably time to look at a small commercial space or time to look in a different part of your city so that you can get a little bit of diversification, even though you've only got a few properties.
0: So you talked about the percentage of assets that you might want to have in real estate. Talk a little bit about the long-term game in regards to, you know, keeping those properties in uh, a family sort of generation over generation.
1: Yeah. So real estate is a great multi-generational investment. If you buy the right assets, you can hold those assets for decades, literally. One of the things that you may have heard of is a, is a 1031 exchange. And that's where you can sell one property and purchase another one um, that's similar while delaying the capital gains taxes. And, and that concept is really important because one of just because we want to pass properties down from, from family member to family member doesn't necessarily mean that we buy one property and that one property is going to be great for 200 years. Um, it, it might be. There are areas where you can buy a piece of real estate and it's going to continue to cash flow and have value for a really long time, but it might not be. Um, And so using um, using that 1031 exchange mechanism allows you to buy one property and then when it's no longer economically attractive, sell it and buy something else that's still sort of similar. And there are rules around that. So you'll have to get some professional guidance um, as you kind of go through that process. But it allows you to do that while delaying. It doesn't allow you to get rid of capital gains taxes, but allows you to delay having to pay those capital gains taxes. And then eventually you can pass all those assets to your children. And if you can do that successfully, you can significantly limit the capital gains taxes or the the taxes that you would pay on the appreciation of the value of those properties over time. So so that's why it's a, it's a really great strategy for, for multi-generational families because you get such a significant tax benefit that isn't available in other asset classes.
0: Awesome. Is there anything that you want to share with our listeners to kind of wrap up today's show?
1: So I think just in, in terms of, of steps, like really practical steps that we can go through, we talked through a couple of those. I would, there's an article on this on the website, but there's six steps that I think are, are super important as you start investing in real estate. So I mentioned starting small, right? Start with long and short-term residential rentals. Make sure you're thinking about using debt, right? Typically, you're going to have to pay 20 or 25%. You're not going to be able to get that sweetheart deal that you got on your, on the house that you live in with your family but you can still get a significant amount of leverage. You can use that to buy the property. Find a guide. That's step three. Make sure you find somebody who's got the expertise in real estate in your area. Make a property management plan. We didn't talk about this, but real estate is not a buy this asset and then sort of set it and forget it. It's going to require maintenance. And so make sure you understand what maintenance is going to look like, what marketing is going to look like if it's a rental property, how you're going to do it if you're going to hire a management company, if you're going to do it yourself, all those kinds of things. Property management is a, by the way, is a great opportunity to engage younger members of your family in your business activity. So grass needs to be cut and things need to happen, right? Beds need to be changed if it's a short-term rental, all those kinds of things. So there's opportunities to get your sort of family involved. And then the the sixth thing, just remember to save for maintenance expenses, right? It's probably $500 to $1,000 a month if you think about just a single family household that that you're renting to someone or a short term rental so make sure you build that into your economic model a lot of folks you know just sort of take the the price of you know rent minus their mortgage and just remember their significant expenses and and they they don't typically happen at one time so you need to be putting that money aside gradually so that when the ac unit goes out or something you've got money to to pay for some of those big one time items that come up so So those are the six things I would say are really important as you kind of get started on this journey. And like I said, we're going to publish a paper on this. You can find it on the website and and you can see those in in more detail.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for listening to another episode of the Capital Stewards podcast. We look forward to seeing you next time where we're going to dive even deeper into different um, property asset classes and give you the full scoop on being a multi-generational family with real estate in your portfolio. Cool. Have a great right. day.